Okay, Matthew chapter 7 is where we are this morning. Jesus is finishing up his Sermon on the Mount, and uh, he ends by drawing some very clear lines and, and giving his listeners some, some really big choices to consider. He's going to talk about two paths we can take, two trees we can pick fruit from, two ways we can call upon Jesus, and then two foundations that we can build our life upon. And what, what each one of us decides about these things has monumental consequences. They're extremely important. This morning, we're going to look at his warning to beware of false prophets, of those who are trying to mislead us. False prophets and false teachers have always been around, and, and until Jesus comes back, they always will be here. They lead people away from God and away from truth. Some do it intentionally and some unintentionally, but, but the, regardless, they're, they're there and, and, and um, they're a problem. Instead of leading people towards God, they, they lead them towards a path of destruction. And so it's, it's pretty serious. Jesus warns us about them, and he tells us that we need to learn to determine what is good fruit and what is bad fruit so that we won't be deceived. So who we listen to and what we believe will affect eternity. It's not a small thing. So with that said, we're going to look at the words of Jesus in chapter 7, starting in verse 15. It says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, right before this, Jesus had just got done explaining the choice we have between taking the, the wide gate or the narrow gate. And, and what we are going to talk about this morning is going to tie into that. So we're going to back into that just a little bit. If you were, were here, if you remember, he said that one gate is easy and one gate is hard. One leads to destruction and one leads to life. And then at the end, he says something that's just tragic to hear. He says, very few people will find the narrow gate. Few people will choose that one. It's, it's going to be the road less traveled. And so what this means is that most people are going to take the easy, wide path. Why? Because it's easy and wide. That's what we like. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a, I'm a kind of a, the, the whole path of least resistance thing. I don't, like, I don't like resistance. I want to always go with what's easy for me. So if I'm hiking and I see a kind of a treacherous, steep, narrow path that looks difficult next to a really wide, easy path, I'm, I'm a wide, easy path kind of guy. And we're living in a time where that wide road mentality is more popular and appealing than ever. Because up until recently, it was really easy for you to, to claim to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, and not really have to deal with hard road, hard path kind of stuff. And now, if you identify as a Christian, it might cost you something. People might not like you. People might say bad things about you. You could suffer loss. And, and so because of that, you now have to face the question, do, do, I, do I still want to follow Christ even if it means taking the hard road? Or do I want to just take my chances on the easy road with, with the majority of people? And I think this is partly why we've gotten used to, to seeing people that were part of us, part among us, and, and I'm not trying to be judgmental in any way, but, but we're watching people kind of fall away right now because as the road got harder and, and the, the, the cost got higher, people began to, to jump ship and, and move on. <clears throat> and in some ways, this isn't surprising because 
for a very long time now, especially in the American church, there's been this message um, that the, the, the church has been teaching people that it's not a real true message. It's not a, it's not a true message, or it's partly true, I should say. And it's this idea that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Come to God and you will just have your best life now. It's a message that has some truth in it, but, but it's kind of a bill of goods as well. It's this idea that if you come to Christ, we lure people into the church with this message. Come to Christ and you know what? You won't get sick anymore. You won't have money problems anymore. You know what? You won't have any problems anymore. All, everything will just be happy, happy, happy all the time. And, and that's a message that we go, yeah, yeah, I want, everybody wants that. Sign me up for that. But, but then you get a glimpse of the narrow road and you go, wait, what, what, what is that exactly? That looks, that looks hard. That's not what you promised me. I was lured in with something different to that. And so you begin to say, well, I don't know if I, don't know if I want to do this. Martin Luther one time talked about this idea that, that we want the theology of glory and not a theology of the cross. We want what's promised now. We want the good stuff now. We don't want to have to wait for it later. And the truth is that the theology of the cross is a narrow path message. It's always been a narrow and difficult message. The idea of taking up your cross daily, dying to self, is not a message people want to hear. Right? What what do you think Jesus meant when he said the one who finds his life will lose it? but the one who loses his life for my sake will find it. It's a narrow path message, but it's a message that leads to eternal life. And this is the part that the false teachers won't tell you. They won't bring this up because they want you to be on the wide road. And the wide road seems really easy until you find out where it ends up. It's just kind of smooth sailing. This is nice. You're just going along and everything's good, but but it's leading to a, a waterfall of eternal destruction that's just around the corner that they're not going to tell you about. And then when you realize that the narrow road doesn't sound so bad anymore. Sure, it's hard for a while. Sure, it's difficult now. It means, it means self-denial and, and hard things, but it leads to everlasting, abundant life in the kingdom of God. So this same mindset of choosing whether to take the narrow road or the wide road applies to what Jesus is warning us in our passage today about false teachers. Because again, like I said, what we're willing to believe and who we're willing to listen to will determine where we end up. It determines the path we're on and it determines where we will end up. So Jesus says, beware of false prophets. You can almost picture these two gates, the wide gate and the narrow gate, and you've got people at both of them trying to convince you to come to their gate. So you've got, you know, a person that's sharing the gospel saying, repent and and deny yourself and come and live. And and it's like, that doesn't sound like a, you know, eh, I don't know. And then you've got this other person. It reminds me of the, remember in Proverbs, you've got that kind of the harlot, the, the, the woman who's the adulterous woman who's trying to call you over to her house. Hey, my husband's gone. This is going to be fun. It's going to be great. And, and it sounds like a great message until the husband finds out, right? And it's like, well, then the Bible says it's like, it's, it's like scooping fire into your lap. I've never done that. I don't ever want to do that. But it sounds, sounds pretty, pretty messed up. False teachers are going to beckon you to their gate. Come walk on this road. It's the good road. And that means their teaching is never going to convict you. It's always going to appeal to your sin nature and to what you want to hear. They're never going to encourage the more difficult path. Nobody wants that. They're never going to tell you about the consequences that exist from from going on the narrow path. And so people will go out of their way to listen to these teachers because they're going to tell you exactly what you want to hear. 
2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And we're seeing this in the world today, and we're seeing this in the church today. And so, for instance, I know most of you guys were thinking, man, I hope I, hope I get my toes stepped on a little bit this morning when I come to church. Well, you're in luck. We're, 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 we're going to do that. Um, the reason I'm pointing these out is because there's a narrow road message and a wide road message. And I want you to think about what we've done as, as people with these messages. So for instance, the Bible says God hates divorce. It says that your marriage is a picture of the gospel. If you don't understand that, it's this idea of, of a guy who decided to marry a, a bride who wasn't very wholesome, very savory, very attractive, very beautiful, very faithful. But he said, I'm going to marry her Anyway, I know all this and I'm still going to marry her and I'm going to stick with her no matter what. I will never, even though I have a right to divorce her every day, which Jesus does, I'll never leave her. I'll never forsake her. And our marriages are a picture of this gospel, right? That's what, that's the idea. And God said, what, what I've joined together, no one should separate. That's, that's the narrow message of the Bible. But what does the false teacher say? The false teacher says, you, you don't want to be trapped in an unhappy marriage. You only live once and, and you need to be happy. That's, that's more important than anything else. Which message do we like better? It, it's pretty obvious, right? And, and, and I don't want to make light. I know some people have been through divorces they didn't want any part of. And, and, and that's, I'm not trying to pick on that. I'm talking about people who say they're followers of Christ and without any biblical reason whatsoever, leave their marriage because, of, because of they want happiness. That it's all about their happiness. It's frustrating. We've had to deal with that. The false teacher is not going to warn you about how hard divorce is going to be. They're not going to tell you that it's going to turn your whole life upside down and ruin so many of your relationships, your family, your friends, your church. All of these things are going to get just, just like thrown into a, a tumbler. It's going to be a mess. They won't mention that. They'll just tell you you'll be happy. And it's not true necessarily. Here's another one for you if, you, if that one didn't get your toes. The Bible says that we're to be sober-minded always ready to give a defense for our faith, in season, out of season, ready. It says we're to be awake and alert and ready for the Lord to return at any moment. Narrow road. False teacher says, you know what? It's okay to numb yourself. It's okay to medicate yourself. It's okay to, to just, just take various drugs and drink because you have a hard life. You have a, you have a difficult life and you need these things. You need like a little mini vacation to just escape reality from time to time. So, so you need to do this. And you know what? It'll probably make you a better person, make you a better spouse, better parent, better employee, heck, even a better Christian. You just, just, just numb yourself a bit. You deserve a break today. Isn't that a great message? It's like, yes, I do. Thank you very much. It's like, I'll, I'll take that message every day. Which message do we like better? We like the wide road message. It appeals to us. And if I've managed to, 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 you know, still miss you, here's one more. And this one, this one's just becoming more and more prevalent. We just talked about in our podcast. I know people move. I'm not saying that everybody that moves to a different place. We moved here from Idaho 20 some years ago, and we feel like it was the Lord's will, but just hear me out. The Bible says this, wherever you are, literally as you are going, your mission on earth is to make disciples of all nations. That means people that you don't like, people that don't like you, people who aren't anything like us, most likely, people who don't know Jesus yet. That's the narrow road message. The wide road message is this. The false teacher will say, hey, move to a place where you don't have to deal with those people. Move to a place where you can get away from the riffraff. Go somewhere where people share your morals, your values, where they're just like you, they think like you. That's where you need to go. You only live once, and you need to go to a place like that and get away from all this stuff. 
it's a really weird message, but I've, I'm watching people over and over and over again buy into this. And it's like, what, what about the Great Commission? Why are we here? For us or for him? But it's a message that we want to hear. The bottom line is this. Wide road teachers will tell you whatever, do whatever makes you happy. And that's exactly what each one of us wants to hear. But we have to remind ourselves of where Jesus said that road ends up. Where does it lead? Where does it go? What's the end, the end of it? It's not the easier road in the long run. In Matthew 16, Jesus asks this very important question, one that you should constantly be thinking about in regards to your eternity. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his own soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You need to be honest with yourself about which prophet you're listening to, which gate you've chosen, and which path you're walking down. If you have no interest in living according to Jesus' teaching or following God's word, the choice you've made seems clear. And it's also to, just important to point out that, that even though the, the narrow road is more difficult and goes against maybe what our flesh wants, you know, you know who we get if we pick that road? We get Jesus. He's there. He's on that road. He's that gate. It's so tragic to think that you'll, you, you think you'll get all of this stuff, but you'll miss out on Jesus. You'll miss out on so much. He's everything. He's worth forsaking everything else for and coming to. He's worth it. And we would also do well to remind ourselves the blessings that come from being obedient and from following God's word. The Bible says his word is a, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It's a road that is filled with true joy, true purpose and meaning. People look for, for purpose and meaning and can't find it. It's on this road. It's filled with true life. And I, I just spent far too much time on the wide road because I was promised satisfaction. I was promised fulfillment. I was promised happiness there. And it was a lie. It wasn't there. There's a song we sing, and I love these, these words to, to uh, all I have is Christ. It says, I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. And, and that's, that's, what that's, that's what the wide road does. We need to understand that God is not trying to keep us from having a good time. I think we just think that way. It's like he doesn't want us on the wide road because that's where all the fun is. No, he's a good father. He doesn't want us to play in the street, right? Like, just like you did with your kids. He's trying to keep us from hurt and harm and destruction. He's not trying to keep us from fun. And that's what's on the wide road is, is ultimately something dangerous. <laughs> So God is looking out for our best interest, but the same cannot be said about false prophets. They don't have your best interest in mind. And let's look at the characteristics that Jesus gives them in our text. He says three things about it, or implies three things. First, they're sneaky, they're dangerous, and they're common. So he, he points out that they're sneaky. They're going to disguise themselves as innocent and harmless. I don't know if you know, most people don't get scared when they see a sheep coming at them. I probably would a little bit, just because I'm... Um, easily scared. But, but the, the point is you don't generally hear about, you know, uh, there was a sheep attack, you know, and they, uh, they took down, it just does, you don't really hear nothing like that going on. They're very docile creatures. And the Bible refers to Christians as sheep. So we don't have to worry about having other sheep around us. In fact, it's a comfort. But if a wolf shows up, there, there's reason for concern, the big reason. So the best way for a wolf to get close enough to attack the sheep is to, to dress up like us or to, to become a wolf in sheep's clothing. False teachers are going to go out of their way to dress up like us, look like us, sound like us, be like us in order to deceive us. Smart. 
And, and uh, you know, make no mistake about it. They do want to deceive us. And so this means that those so-called teachers are going to appear to, to have you, your best interest in mind and, 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 and be for you. You know, it's funny because um, we, we underestimate our enemy sometimes. Satan is, if he showed up as Satan, we would be terrified probably, right? You, you know, if he comes in like a red suit with horns and a hay fork, you, you would be, okay, I know who that is. And you would be terrified most likely of what he was wanting to do. But he doesn't come that way, does he? How does he show up? The Bible tells us an angel of light. 2 Corinthians 11 says, For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Smart. So they're not only sneaky, they're dangerous. We need to remember that looks can be deceiving. And Jesus says that underneath this disguise, they are ravenous wolves. Th- those are words that I don't, I don't like at all. That sounds scary. Anything that is described as savage or vicious or that could hurt me or cause harm, I don't like. False teachers want to do this to followers of Christ. And, and the same spirit that's in the false prophet is what we've seen. We, we see it throughout the Bible. I, re- I was reminded of the book of Job. You remember Satan, how he would come before God and what he wanted to see happen to the follower of God. I want to see him deny you and curse you to your face. That was the goal. That was the goal. I don't think it's changed. I think he he still wants to do that. And so he's trying to convince us to come to his gate, come down the wide road. They'll do this by attacking our faith. Because if they can get us to doubt, they can get us to fall away. If they can discourage us, if they can um, cause us to become self-absorbed and self-focused, which is, is super easy, depression and discouragement begins to set in. If they can distract us, they can make us ineffective by getting us to focus on things that don't matter. I've got a, a, a young Christian friend that I was talking to this week, and I, I'm not going to name names because that would be wrong, but um, they have bought into every conspiracy theory that exists out there right now, all of them. And, and they go onto the deep web and find out things that the rest of us don't know about. And, and it's, the interesting thing is this person is a natural evangelist. They're, they're just quick to share their faith. But the more he talked about the craziness of the conspiracy theories, I finally just said to him, do you know, do you know what you've done by this? You've discounted the message of the gospel because anybody that hears you right now is going to think you're out of your mind, plumb crazy. And then what are they going to do with the message of the gospel? They're just going to lump it into the rest of the craziness you believe. What a, what a great tactic by a false prophet to distract somebody who has a heart to see people saved that, that looks like a loon because of the stuff that they're talking about. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I don't know if you guys, if, I, if you're, maybe you're a conspiracy theorist and maybe you're going, wait a second, you don't know the deep. Here's the point. This is what you're going to find out if you go on the deep web. The world is broken because of sin. Man is evil. Maybe far more evil than we ever knew. Right? And the answer is Jesus Christ. There you go. So at the end of the day, so what? So what if it's all true? doesn't change my marching orders. It doesn't change what I'm here for. And it doesn't change the answer. So, sorry, that was my soapbox. But, dang. Yeah. Now, false prophets are sneaky. They're dangerous and they're common. And this is obvious. But Jesus is saying, be on high alert for a reason. He's not just telling us this so that, you know, false prophets are all around us all the time teaching us false things. They don't let up. They don't grow tired. They're committed to bringing a consistent message 
of, of, a, of a false narrative because if they, if they know that if we hear it enough, if we get desensitized to it enough, we'll just accept it into our lives. And if you don't see it happening all the time all around us, you're not paying attention. Stuff that we would have been horrified by 20 years ago, we've accepted into our life now is perfectly normal. It's a smart tactic. So this is just that, it's that constant kind of indoctrination thing that goes on. You, you just get used to it and pretty soon you're like, okay, that's, that sounds right. And we need to be careful because we get a steady diet of this every day. And I'm not saying, again, there are intentional false teachers and unintentional false teachers, but they're, they're still out there. They're in our schools. They're in our media broadcasting, the, the, you know, the news we listen to. They're making the music, the television shows, and the movies that we invite into our home. They're giving us endless information on the internet. You can find just about anything on there that'll tell you what, you know, this kind of stuff. And unfortunately, they're even in our churches. It's, it's everywhere around us. Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's subtle, but it's there. So we can expect the enemies of God to attack us from outside the church. That's a given, and we need to be aware of that. But how brilliant if they can infiltrate us, kind of like double agents who secretly live among us undetected, right? So this is where you kind of look around at everybody in the room. I'm just kidding. Uh, we're much more likely to accept teaching from someone inside the camp than we would be someone outside the camp. So this is a smart tactic. They're outside the church, they're inside the church, and unfortunately, there's even a little false teacher inside of me. There's something inside of me in my flesh that wants to hear the, the wide road message. And we need to be aware of that as well, because we will convince ourselves of, of this kind of stuff. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm like a ventriloquist. I can make the voice in my head sound just like God's voice. I don't know how I do that, but it's pretty cool. You know, oh, this is, this is what God wants. And it's like, no, this is what Brent wants. You're just trying to, we do this really well. So each one of us needs to examine ourselves and examine the narratives that we've chosen to believe. If what we hold to be true does not align with God's word, we've been duped. If you have to dismiss or change or ignore your Bible to maintain your worldview, your philosophies, your ideologies, and your lifestyle, you've been duped. You've chosen the wrong gate and you're on the wrong path. And this is serious, Christian. It's very serious because it matters where you're going to end up. Now, all of this can sound pretty bleak and depressing. You know, there's wolves among us and I get, oh my, but Jesus has also given us what we need to deal with them. He mentions three things to help us. He tells us they will come, they can be recognized and they won't win. Uh, The first one, again, it's obvious, but they will come. You know, he tells us to beware because they're here. He's warning us because we need to be warned. They're around us. We will succumb to their false teaching if we're not careful. So don't be surprised that they're here. I think sometimes we, we uh, I, you know, yeah, they're, they're everywhere. They're teaching our kids stuff. They're, we should expect it. We don't need to freak out. We don't need to run and hide. We need to be ready when it happens. So be on guard, be watchful, be ready. And the good news is they can be recognized. The disguise is great. It's good, but it's not perfect. We can spot them if we look closely. How? Verse 16 tells us, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? If you were to take me out to a grove of trees in the winter when there's nothing on them and say, tell me what fruit tree that is, Brent, I would have nothing good to offer you. But I don't want to brag, but in in the spring when the fruit starts to come out, I'm pretty good at it at that point. It's like if there's an apple on a tree, I'm like, you know what? I think that's an apple tree. That's, yeah. But but this is what Jesus is describing. He's describing somebody who's very crafty and deceptive. So they take a thorn bush, a dangerous bush. I don't know if you've ever been around a thorn bush, but they're horrible. They'll hurt you. 
And then they, they get grapes and they stick the grapes on the thorns and they say, Hey, want a grape? And you're like, Oh, that sounds fantastic. You know, this is the idea. They're trying to trick you. Thistle, thistle trees or thistle bushes, whatever. They're evil also. And he's, they're sticking figs on them and saying, hey, would you like a fig? The idea is they're trying to, to convince you that this is something that's going to be good for you, but it's going to hurt you and it's going to make you sick. It might be convincing at first, but after a while, as you, as you pay attention to it and watch it, you're going to see that the fruit begins to wither and rot and fall because there's no life there. There's nothing there to sustain it. At first glance, it can be very difficult for us to know if somebody is a Christian or an imposter. I generally assume I'm not, you know, I try not to be too negative. If somebody tells me they're a follower of Christ, I believe them. I think they're telling the truth, but I'm watchful. I pay attention to what, what's going on. If enough time passes, the fruit or the lack of fruit in their life begins to inform me more clearly. And I want to make sure that we understand this doesn't mean that we, we decide, okay, Christian, not a Christian, Christian. That's not our job. God, that's in God's inbox, not our inbox. But Jesus tells us to let their fruit be our guide. So what are we looking for exactly? And it it really comes down to a combination of what somebody teaches and how they live. So the first thing is what they teach. And if if it's a false teacher, they're going to get sin wrong. They're going to get the gospel wrong. They're going to get Jesus wrong. And they're going to misrepresent God. You can be sure of it. And these are all extremely serious things because this, this goes right to the heart of salvation. So if we're going to effectively recognize what's false and what's true, what do we need to be experts in? The Word of God. We need to know. This is how we know. If somebody's making false claims about Jesus, like, for instance, He's not God, the way we find out is by going to our Word and determining, no, that's, that's a lie. He is God. In fact, if He's not God, we're probably still in our sins at this point because His sacrifice pr- couldn't have paid for our sins. Jesus is God. A false teacher will get that wrong. The best way to know error is to, to know what's true. And the best way to combat error is, is with the sword of the, the, you know, the, the truth. So yes, there are false teachers all around us, but we don't have to run and hide. We can take up the, put on our spiritual armor and battle, hold to the truth. And that's why even if you're, you've got a kid in public school right now who's being taught evolution, when they come home, guess what you get to do? You get to straighten them out. It's not, we don't just hide the, the fact that evolution exists, that it's out there. No, we, we say, hey, yeah, they're going to teach you that. But here's what God's word says. And, and then teach them about the narrow road and the wide road. This is what we're called to do as Christians. But this is why doctrine and sound theology matter so much. Those have become bad words in the church. Doctrine, ugh, you know, we don't want to hear about that kind of stuff. Yes, you do, <laughs> because there's false prophets and we need to be aware of them. And this is how we do it. They're not going to make it easy for us, by the way. They're actually, they know scripture too, and they're going to use it so we need to use it better than they do. We need to know it better than they do. Do you remember how Satan, what he did and when he tempted Jesus? He, he used God's word, didn't he? He just used it wrong. He twisted it to, to fit his own agenda, but, but they know enough to do that. So we need to be the kind of people that take everything that is taught, everything we hear, and run it through the sieve of the scriptures to determine if it's true or false. In Acts chapter 17, Luke said that there was this group of people, this group of Christians that were more noble than than other Christians because they did this. They were called the Bereans. They took what was taught and they went home and they searched the scriptures daily to find out if it was true or not. And, and, And we would encourage you guys to be those kinds of people with what you hear from this pulpit and from what you hear from all the pulpits in the world around you, be a Berean, do the same thing. So what people teach is important, but how they live is also very important. That's another way we can determine if it's good fruit or bad fruit. 
there's a, there's a saying that makes me sound smart when I say it, so I want to say it just so you, you know, maybe we'll convince you, but good orthodoxy results in good orthopraxy, and that just means correct belief results in correct behavior, okay? If someone believes right things about man and about God and about sin and about the solution, it will show up in the way they live, right? So verse 17 says, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So first, let me just explain what makes a healthy tree that is capable of bearing good fruit. What's the answer? Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the reason that we can become a healthy tree that bears good fruit, period. Any good works that come out of us as a result of us being connected to him. Jesus said this in John fifteen five: I am the vine you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do a little, a bit, a smidgy, no, nothing, (laughs) not a thing. So if you see fruit, good fruit in my life, where did it come from? Jesus. Yeah. Good works are the fruit of true salvation. Jesus is the root of true salvation. Okay. If someone's been made a new creation, he's been filled with the Holy Spirit of God. He's been given a heart that responds to God's commands and wants to follow, he'll want to follow his desires. It will result in fruit. That's what we'll see. <clears throat> you guys know the list uh, of what we, if the presence of God's spirit is within us, what should be in us as Christians. And I can tell you, like if you did the before and after pictures of Brent, pre-Holy Spirit, post-Holy Spirit, this stuff wasn't there. Sure, you'd see it every once in a while. Something would pop up that might look right. But afterwards, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control started to show up in my life in a way that makes no sense to me because they're foreign to me, right? It's an alien righteousness that showed up in my life. Now, there are times, if you were to follow me around during the week, where you would go, I don't see any of that in you. That's true. There are times when we walk in sin. There are times we walk in the flesh, But if these things are continually absent from your life, Houston, we have a problem. (laughs) As James says, faith without works is dead. It's not a real faith. If Christ is present in our life, fruit happens. So if these things are continually absent from from a person's life, it's reasonable to assume that Christ might be absent from their life as well. So we need to pay attention to what's being produced in our own life, but also in the people we're listening to around us. That way we can identify them as good fruit, bad fruit, true prophets, false prophets. If what they're teaching results in bad fruit, throw it away, right? It just, you know that if you have a piece of fruit in a, in a bowl on the counter and one of them goes bad, what does it do to everything around them? It begins to just rot everything around them as well. You have to toss it out so it doesn't spoil the whole bunch. We have to learn to be good fruit inspectors so that we can spot imposters, counterfeits, and enemies. It takes effort. It takes diligence. It takes studying God's word to know the difference. And I would say it's a team effort. We're going to do this better together than we are. Don't just leave it up to us. I mean, God, I believe God has given pastors and elders for this very reason to protect the flock from these things, but it's a team effort. All of us need to play a part in this. We have a responsibility to expose false teaching and to guard and protect the truth. One of the qualifications, by the way, for a pastor or an elder, we think they're the same thing, is that he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught 
so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And I am very happy to be a part of a church that has pastors like this. You guys have three pastors. I have two, so I'm talking about them. But, but they do this, and I value that so much because it's become very common to compromise on all of these things. And, and I know David and Chad will not compromise on this, and I praise God that they're willing to do that. You know, there's been times over the years where we've had to confront false teachers. It's never fun, um, you know, but, but there, was, there was one guy one time that came through, really charming guy, very winsome. We all liked him, began to teach that he was sinless, began to teach that he was kind of like a prophet of the Most High. He, the more you talk to him, the more you realize this is weird. And, and he started kind of gathering followers, and he started to create some division, and we had, to, we had to confront it. Another guy that came in, same kind of personality, very charming, really liked him, basically said that the Word of God is useless. There's no point in it at all. We have the, the Word of God written on our heart. We don't need it. Started interrupting services, bl- blurting out things like drinking Kool-Aid, and I mean, really getting bad. Interrupting Bible studies, confronting teachers. So both of these guys, we, we didn't do it the day they got there. We, we watched the fruit. We saw it happen. We saw the destruction. And then we had to show them the door. Not well. We, we tried to show them the door. The one, those, we, we had to tell them to leave. And, and, and that's part of, part of what we have to do as Christians. Second Peter 2, 1 says, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. It will happen. We need to be ready. Uh, so there are some things we need to be on the lookout for, red flags that we should look for when we see them. If you see, I'm just going to mention a couple of them because I think it's worth it. Um, if you see these things, these red flags that I'm going to mention, I, I would say, uh, do your best to confront it. If it doesn't stop, run away, just get out of there. So the first one is this, does money get talked about a lot? This is a, uh, you know, I don't understand why so many Christian people f- listen to so many of the ministries and, and follow the people they do when all they talk about all day long is gimme, 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 gimme. Does, shouldn't that just tip you off to something? There are m- people that are more than happy to use the name of Christ to gain financial you know, riches for themselves. That's a big red flag. The second one is this, who's in the spotlight? Who's getting famous If at any point, like the speaker up front, their head is so big that you can't see Jesus anymore, run away, get out of there. If they begin to eclipse Jesus with their giant personality, that's a big danger. And there's so many people that basically kind of do this. Another one is to pay attention to the teaching. Who's the hero in the teaching? Is Is it God? Is it Christ? Or is it man? And the way you'll know is that if man's the hero, everything will be about what you can do to be a better person and what you can do to get a better life. That's the message. As opposed to if Jesus is the hero, the message will be that we must decrease, he must increase. We want to magnify the person and work of Jesus. He is the best thing about all of us. If he's not in the spotlight and the star of the show, something's gone horribly wrong. The third one I would mention is this. Are difficult things ever talked about? Do you ever hear anything in church that convicts you or rubs you the wrong way? <laughs> False teachers aren't going to tell you things that get you riled up or, or get, they're not going to tell you anything that's going to make you leave. They don't want you to leave. They want you to stay right where you're at. Have you ever noticed that the Bible makes you feel uncomfortable sometimes? <laughs> yeah, that's narrow road kind of stuff. Have you noticed this? In the last few years, the teaching about the reality of hell has vanished from many churches, from many teachers. They've just, they've just done away with it. It's not real. That's a wide road message. Who doesn't want to hear that? And what's going to keep you on the wide road? 
There's no consequence of hell. It's not real. Cool. I mean, it's just crazy, but that's, that's what we're seeing. The truth is that the reason that people, we erase these things is because it fills the seats. Right? That, that's it. If you want to build a big church, fill it up. Never teach anything that upsets people. Only teach what will make people feel good about themselves. It's a great tactic. Again, I love that the pastors here don't do that. They mess with me every Sunday they teach. <laughs> they convict me. They, they, they get to the things that I want them to shut up about and not point out. But I love that. I love the fact that I'm convicted by the word of God because it's, it's, it's conforming me more and more into the image of Christ. But, but we need to be, make sure that we're more concerned about pleasing God than we are pleasing men. And I would also point out this, that false teachers, they're not going to just be obvious. They're going to mix truth into the error. And so you need to be aware of this. There's a lot of people who will only talk about love and blessing and prosperity and, and that kind of stuff. They will never mention, like I said, hell, wrath, holiness, sin, consequences, none of that. So pay attention. Another red flag. You can be sure that if they're leaving th- those things out, that they're leaving the gospel message out, which is the message that saves us. The gospel message starts out with bad news, Right? that you're a sinner that's separated from God. Your, your sin has separated you from a holy God. And the only way to, to, to resolve that is by belief in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You must believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. Repent from your sin and turn to God for life. That's the gospel message. If they're, if they're leaving these things out, you're not going to hear that. And then the last thing is that the Bible, is it, is it authoritative? If, you don't, if the Bible is not authoritative in a church or, or somebody that you're listening to, again, it's a big red flag, run away. Some people will just say, it's not the word of God. It's just a book with good advice. It's got errors. It's got problems. Don't, you don't really need to pay attention. You can pick and choose what you, what you go with. You know, you either submit to the word of God or it submits to you. And, and we need to submit. We come under its authority. But it's become very common for people to ignore, change, or just completely disregard much of what the Bible says and just go along with what the majority accepts. So they'll say things like, oh, it doesn't mean that anymore. I'm so sick of hearing that. It doesn't mean that anymore. Really? You get to decide that based on what you want to do, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Great. False teachers will find a way to twist scripture to meet their own agenda. And again, this is all wide path kind of stuff. So if what we teach doesn't align with what the scriptures say, stop listening, right? The bottom line is that we are either transforming or we're conforming. And, and Romans 12, 2 says, um, you know, basically don't be conformed to this world anymore, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God's word is what's going to reprogram our mind to think the way, you know, he thinks and to like the things he likes. So Jesus ends this section with some really good news. Even though false prophets are all around us, even though they're dangerous, and even though they seek to destroy the church, in the end, the wolves don't win, Right? Verse 19 says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So there will come a day when everyone who opposes God and who attacks his church will stand before him and, and, and he will deal with him accordingly. And that's a terrifying thing to think about. If you're a false prophet, by the way, you're not getting away with anything. You will stand before God one day and you will, you will deal with him. And I love that the end of the story has been written that God wins, that Jesus triumphs. Evil doesn't triumph, Jesus triumphs, and we, his people, along with him, triumph. So I hope and pray that each of us are narrow gate people. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it goes against what everyone else is doing. And yes, it means denying ourselves. But we end up with Jesus. We end up forgiven, and we end up in the kingdom of heaven. And there's nothing better than that. It's not 
too late to change the road you're on. If you recognize right now that you've been on the wrong path, repent today and change. You know, I, uh, when I, I used to travel quite a bit, I was going to end with this kind of a stupid story, but it, it reminded me of this, this airport that I was in one time. I used to travel, wasn't really good at it. I was a boy from Idaho and these airports were big. And so I had a connecting flight one time that I got off a plane. It was, it was running late and the other one was going to take off and I had to get there quick. So I grabbed my little suitcase with the rollers on it. I'm, I'm trying to track down this gate where I'm supposed to go. And I see on the floor, there's this conveyor belt thing. And I thought, well, this is fantastic. This is easy and it's wide and it's going to get me where I want to go quicker. So I I jumped on this thing and and just a few, I don't know, maybe a hundred feet in or so I realized this isn't the gate I'm supposed to be going to at all. I'm going the wrong direction, but I'm on this stupid thing now and there's walls and I can't turn around because there's people behind me. And so what do I do at this point? It was a terrifying thought of like, I'm going to miss my flight because I can't get off this dumb conveyor belt. Today, if you realize you're on the wrong conveyor belt and you're going to the wrong gate, get off. Jesus is is right there right now with an opening for you saying, come to the narrow gate. I'm here. Jesus is that gate. I love this. You know, the verse that we base our name on is John 10, 9. I am the door. Jesus said this. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Father, thank you so much that you have provided a way for us to be with you. We know that it came at a great cost to you. You gave your son so that we could have life. I pray that, Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know that yet, that hasn't experienced that yet, that today would be the day when they they enter the narrow gate and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Thank you for giving us life. Um, Help us, Lord, to recognize the false teaching that's around us and to reject it and to be people that hold fast to truth and that are truth tellers everywhere, everywhere we go, and that we would hold out this, this, the truth and light to the people around us, Lord, that need it so desperately. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.